Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So what are we talking about today? So I'm going to give you an answer, and I want you to give me the question. Mm, You have to figure out what I mean by that. Uh, This machine learning algorithm uh, is the only machine learning algorithm that has ever beaten a human at Jeopardy. What is Watson? Yep. This is linear digressions. So that whole intro question answer thing sounded like a Jeopardy question. Yeah, well, it was a little bit of a gimmick. But yeah, today we're (laughs) going to be talking about uh, Watson, the machine learning algorithm that a couple years ago uh, beat all of the human Jeopardy grand champions and taught us all that we're not so smart. Uh, Yeah, a real tour de force of machine learning. And this isn't the first time that a computer has beaten a human at its own game. Uh, no, actually. I mean, the the classic example of machine learning beating a human at a classically like human game is when Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov in chess, mm-hmm. um, which is actually a really interesting story. And maybe we should do <laughs> a little digression into that uh, in some other episode. But so it's, it's happened before. But um, again, it was like a, it was an IBM team. It was IBM Deep Blue. And, and Watson was also built by IBM. So okay. they have this, uh, they like to challenge themselves with uh, beating humans at, at their own games, as you say. So it seems at first like Jeopardy would be an easier game than chess, namely because any person on their living room couch can play Jeopardy. Not everyone can play chess super well. And also, you think about all of the possible moves in chess. It's just combinatorially explosive as you get further and further into the game. But it's not actually that way. Yeah, I wouldn't say so. I mean, there's kind of a reason that they started with Deep Blue and then moved on to Mm -hmm. Watson and not uh, progressing in the other direction. Yeah, so Jeopardy is easier for humans, but... Yeah, I would say so, but harder for uh, for computers, for sure. Mm. Um, so one thing is that chess has well-defined rules. Oh, yeah. That's... Uh, so if you can hard-code in the rules, then you can hard-code in uh, sort of uh, some scoring mechanisms for saying if, the, if a given move is more likely to make you win or more likely to make you lose, then it's very straightforward. You know, as you say, it's combinatorially, there's lots and lots of different combinatorics that you have to work through. But if you have the processing power, you can look ahead a few steps, then, you know, maybe you can still do pretty well. Obviously, Deep Blue did very well. And the reason we're talking about Watson today is because machine learning is one of the things that gets through natural language processing, for example. Machine learning is in every piece of Watson, from what I can tell. It's the Mm. natural language processing of understanding the question. It's the natural language processing of of parsing the whole corpus of of information that it has to read. So imagine, Mm. yeah, we'll talk about this maybe in a little bit more depth, but you should think of it as just reading encyclopedias, basically. So understanding all of that information and then indexing it in a way that it can search through effectively. Um, and then machine learning as a way to evaluate all the different possible choices that it might uh, find for an answer, and then articulating that as a as an answer and, and figuring out in the form out, of a question, <laughs> yeah, um, figuring out when to buzz in and uh, for example on like Final Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy how much money to bet and all of these other little things that go into actually playing Jeopardy. Really? Wow. So I mean, it seems like you basically summed up the way Watson works just then. You parse the question Mm -hmm. and derive some kind of meaning from those words, right? And then you look through your corpus of information, all the information that you have to search through, derive some meaning from all of that, match them up, come up with a bunch of different results, and then rank those results in terms of probability. 
Yeah, I think you did a good job of summarizing it, actually. I'm looking at a little flowchart. There's a really excellent series of papers that were written by the IBM research team. And unfortunately, they're behind a paywall. I was able to get them um, through Stanford. But I'm looking at a, a little flowchart in the introductory paper in this series. And say the first thing that happens is you get a question, um, which is then analyzed for like the topic that it's looking for in any particular keywords. Then it uses that to go to a series of answer sources, so actually looking f through the answers that it thinks might be possible. For each of the candidate answers that it returns, it then has to look through a larger database that it calls evidence sources for supporting evidence for any one of these answers. Because for every question, maybe it returns 100 different answers. And then it has to go look for supporting evidence that any one of them is correct. Oh, I see. So it comes up with a naive answer, and then it looks to either back that up or... Yeah or refute it. And what's the corpus that it's looking through? It uses <laughs> the internet, basically. Really? Yeah. So they started with Wikipedia, which is a very logical place to start. Um, they did some very smart things when reading through Wikipedia, though. One of the things that they did was they said, uh, they analyzed it just very simply for how often is the correct answer just the title of an article. Mm, really? <laughs> yeah, because they say that like most of the time, I forget the exact number, but something like you know 80% of the answers or something some are actual. Percentage. Yeah. Wow. Um, are actually just titles of Wikipedia articles. So that actually helps you start to pare things down very quickly. So there's all of there's all of your candidate answers are just the titles of all the articles in Wikipedia. <laughs> like, there's your starting wow. point. Um, but they did some things that are more sophisticated than that, obviously. They ran what's what reminds me kind of of the PageRank algorithm on Wikipedia. So PageRank... PageRank algorithm on Google, you mean? Well, I mean, they, yeah. they ran a, a version of what reminds me of Google's PageRank algorithm on their Wikipedia data. Okay, that makes sense. So instead of looking at necessarily the information in the article or anything like that to deem whether it's important or not, it just looks at how many other articles link to it. So a lot of Wikipedia articles probably link to the Barack Obama Wikipedia article, but probably not as many link to the Wikipedia article of some uh, freeway somewhere. Uh, right, yeah. So you have different... I would disagree a little bit that, of course, it's not going to ignore the information in the article. It's just going to use the sort of this, um, the, the number of incoming links as supporting evidence, basically, for oh, where's, where's the hot stuff happening. I see. Yeah. So, so one, of, one, of the big, one of the big ways they do it. But. Yeah. Um, so they, they use that to help them understand sort of where uh, lots is going on in Wikipedia, where there's, but as you know, Wikipedia has some blind spots and has some like overdeveloped spots too. Um, so they supplemented it with, so the first thing that they did actually was they just figured out how well they were doing just with Wikipedia alone. And they did a good job at the beginning of sort of setting some benchmark numbers for themselves and saying like, if we can hit these numbers, we will win. And so then they were always just sort of comparing against those numbers. And if Wikipedia alone would get you there, then you're done. But they, you know, they find that you need more than Wikipedia. So they uploaded things like um, IMDb, right? The Internet oh, Movie Database. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of information about who's in what film and with who and stuff like that. Uh, they uploaded the text of the Bible and the text of the works mm. of Shakespeare, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. the literary and other major like pieces of literature. Because although information about Shakespeare is on Wikipedia, the actual works of Shakespeare are not. So therefore, right. the quotes and all that stuff. Right. So you need another way to get that information. But one of the things that they also had to be careful of that you maybe wouldn't think of at the outset is that you don't want to give it too much information because that can actually confuse it. Uh, mm. That it has sort of 
too many too many incoming messages to actually say with with as much confidence as it needs to be when it finds the answer that it will actually buzz in. So there's a sweet spot. Yeah, there's a sweet range, I would say. I mean, there's there's basically two numbers that you're always looking to make as good as possible. You want to maximize the amount of time that it returns an answer with confidence. Mm-hmm. And they said that the number that they needed to hit was about 70%. They looked at, they watched many games of Jeopardy. They saw how often the, the people who won would buzz in. They said they buzzed in on 40 to 50% of the questions. But you're in a race for the buzzer. So part of the time, even if you know the answer, somebody else is going to beat you to the buzz. So you need to actually have an answer on hand 70% of the time. The other number was that how often when you give the answer do you get it correct? Mm-hmm. And the champions do around 90%. And so they were like, okay, we need to hit 85%. And so that those were the two numbers they were always looking at is can we get 70% buzz in and can we get 85% accuracy? And so then it becomes very straightforward because those are just, those are your, those are your metrics, right? Wow. Um, and you're just optimizing. Yeah. And I think that actually for me was part of the, the tour de force of this exercise was they did a really good job, uh, I think, of actually setting up a framework that allowed them to layer lots of things on top of each other and then just always be testing them against these important metrics and seeing if they were making progress. Because this is a project that had never really been done before. And, you know, who knows, maybe like you might work really hard on an algorithm and then you put it in and it might actually make things worse. You know, maybe it confuses, yeah. it confuses, you know, your, your answer scoring algorithm or something like so that. So you basically, de- you're defining success. So that way, you know, when you add something or make a tweak or something, if you've gotten better or if you've gotten worse. Yeah. And I think that was really impressive having a framework like that, that you can sort of plug things into you. It's very flexible, but it's also very powerful. I, that was something that I thought was, was very like, nice about this write-up is it's like, oh, okay, that's that's the goal. And then we're just going to hit it from as many directions as we can. That's really cool. Yeah. So then once it returns some candidate answers, the next thing it has to do, we mentioned this already a little bit, is rank them relative to each other by looking for supporting evidence for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once it has a an answer that's above some confidence threshold, that's when it buzzes in. One thing that I learned that I think was kind of funny is, so they, they needed to make Watson as human-like as possible in the sense that you need to be able to like wheel Watson out onto the Jeopardy stage and have it just play (laughs) Jeopardy. Yeah. So this means a few things that are obvious, like you're not allowed to have anybody sort of sitting there typing on a keyboard that's hooked into Watson while it's playing. No human input, basically. It needs to be completely sort of self-contained. Second thing is it doesn't have an internet connection because of course a human doesn't have an internet connection. Mm, So everything has to be sort of sitting on on its disks. The third thing that I liked is that it, it has to actually buzz in. It has to actually push a little it mechanical has a little, thumb. It has a little thumb. Oh, uh, that's so cute. So that you can't like short circuit the, because uh, you could imagine if you plugged it straight into the buzzing mechanism, Yeah. then it would have a, a leg up on all the humans that we need to, you know, take half a second for the, to actually the move finger our thumb, to move, yeah. but it doesn't, um, you know, that would be an unfair advantage. So, so <laughs> they made it mechanically buzz did, in. Did it wait until it had uh, an answer candidate above a certain threshold to even buzz in, because I know that some some contestants just kind of mash it and just keep hitting the key, hitting the buzzer over and over again, mm. to try to get in before the other guy. Yeah, I think it. The way that I understand it was it was, it had to have a candidate answer that it was past the threshold before it would buzz in. Mm. And they said that the time that it takes for... So you can't buzz in while Trebek is still reading. Yeah. You can't cut him off. So they say we have three seconds on average 
before we have the chance to buzz in. So that's mm, sort of I see. Okay. free thinking time. But then, yeah, it's anybody's, it's anybody's game. Pretty cool. So what's next for Watson? Do we know? Well, so it Does won, it have aspirations it or hopes won or Jeopardy. goals? Um, then it took a well-deserved, uh, you know, some time off. Took a break to went to Malibu. <laughs> yeah. So there's some <laughs> there's some pretty cool stuff that is now starting to happen with Watson. Um, IBM is starting to open it up a little bit oh. for people to actually use. So like not just playing Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. That's that you could go to like a website or you, there's like an API that you can somehow plug it in. I think it's mostly being used right now for like business analytics and it's still kind of closed and you might need like an invite only and things like yeah. that. So it's not it's not all the way there yet, but you can see that it's kind of moving in a direction that maybe in a year or two, um, you know, there would be sort of a more open source version of this that you can query in these very like interesting, uh, you know, human comprehensible ways in a way that, you know, Google doesn't quite deal with, but you know, it, it's coming. Personally, I'd love if Watson was a chatbot and he could be my new friend. Oh, chatbot is so stupid and I'm always so disappointed because, yeah, wouldn't it be great if you could like have an actual conversation with chatbot? Like a good chatbot. Yeah, it just sits there and insults you. I remember when I was, uh, digression, <laughs> but I remember a year or two ago. The chatbot never insulted me, actually. Oh, this is Cleverbot. The Cleverbot is the one Cle- that I'm Cleverbot, okay. Yeah. I-, I was thinking about Smarter Child. Oh, These are okay. AOL Instant Messenger back in the day uh, bots, and now they're in all sorts of different. Have you ever heard of the? Okay, uh, one digression very quickly. Clever, clever bot. When I used to take night shifts at CERN, I would be on the graveyard shift from like eleven at night till seven in the morning running the oh. machine, and it was like really kind of boring. God, and you that can't, sounds horrible. Yeah, you can't really do anything interesting. But at some point, uh, I just started talking to Cleverbot in the middle of the night. <laughs> Like I said, it would just insult me, and it was it was not fun. But digression number two: Have you ever used the Emacs, <laughs> the Emacs therapist? No, I haven't. Oh, you have to check this out. It's Is really this funny. Is like Clippy, but for Emacs? Clippy the paperclip? No, for no. It actually it, it asks you questions about like your feelings. Oh wow! Yeah, it's really funny. Out. It's really funny, and so then you can try to like confuse it and say weird things. If you confuse it enough, it'll just be like. I think we should get back to talking about why you hate your parents so much or like funny <laughs> oh, things like that. Yeah. But yeah, the Emacs, the Emacs therapist is like also one of my favorite toys. So clearly all of the different chat and text conversation bots could, they could use a level up. They could. They Humans could. are just not going to be talking to each other in five years. We're just only going to be talking to our computers. Just a Watson. <laughs> he seems like a very nice guy. Dr. Watson. Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning, produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity, a company dedicated to education. We've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity. This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.